Welcome to episode 18 of the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast, the podcast where we discuss and examine the 75 greatest Marvel stories as chosen by Marvel readers and published by Marvel Comics itself. The countdown continues every Wednesday until June 1st, 2016. And joining us for his first episode and second recording on this particular podcast is a gentleman that we found through the I Like Pink Very Much Lois Facebook group, which is a fan group for the Aw Yeah podcast. Welcome aboard, Mr. Rob Gillespie. Thanks for having me, Blaine. All right, and I just want to put an extra thank you for Rob. The first time we recorded, there was a glitch in MP3 Skype recorder, and the entire recording was lost. So Rob's agreed to come in very last minute to re-record the entire podcast so we can still get this out on time. So thank you very much for that, Rob. That's so good, mate. All right. So this week we are talking about Avengers Under Siege. This, at least according to the Countdown publication, covers Avengers 270 to 277. Although 270 to 272 were a bit of preamble, which may or may not be collected in the trade paperback editions, depending on which printing date you're looking at. All eight issues were written by Roger Stern, penciled by John Buscema, and inked by Tom Palmer. It was colored primarily by Christy Max Scheel, Paul Becton, and somewhat by Juliana Ferreter, or Ferrete, wish I knew how to pronounce her name, F-E-R-R-I-T-E-R, lettered by Jim Novak. The first seven issues were under assistant editor Howard Mackey. The last one had assistant editor Gregory Wright. They were all edited by Mark Grunewald, and this was published during the regime of editor-in-chief Jim Shooter. Cover dates range from August 1986 to March 1987. The actual release dates range from May 8th to December 9th, 1986. And as we mentioned earlier, it came in at number 18 in the countdown. Rightfully so. So, as we said, this is Under Siege. We'll get into a little bit of the plot synopsis, but I think this is significance because this is when eventually the Masters of Evil take control of Avengers Mansion. Huge story. They basically somewhat come of age at this point, you know, a bit more rea- realistic, if, if you can, in this, <laughs> this genre. <laughs> and uh, it, it goes quite dark, which at the was something of the time, but mm-hmm. still a, uh, one of, one of, one of the, the darkest days in their history, I'd like to think. Yeah, this isn't uh, Dark Knight Returns Dark, which came out the same year. You know, also Watchmen, those were the contemporaries, but... I would say this and Disassembled are the two darkest Avenger stories I've read. Agreed. Totally agree. They uh, get taken down a, a peg each, on each of them, and uh, they actually tie in a bit as well. The disassembled mm-hmm. and Under Siege. Somewhat, yep. And we might as well get into Under Siege. People have heard plenty of talk between John Wilson and I about Disassembled already. Yes. All right. So, The Avengers. This, so, issue 270. This is kind of picking up in the middle of a serialized story. But it's here because this is where one of the Masters of Evil first starts coming in, because this is something that Stern built to for a while. It opens with public reaction to the announcement that Namor the Submariner, who has been a villain for much of his life, is now a member of the Avengers, which makes less sense to the people on the street in the Marvel Universe than it does to Marvel readers, because people on the street know him primarily as that guy who kept trying to take over the surface world. Whereas readers generally recognize that even though he's been opposed to humanity, He's always been a noble hero in his own right. He's just the monarch of a country whose goals don't necessarily line up with America's. So we get the Avengers returning from whatever adventure they were just on. And you know, Jarvis is filling them in on what's going on. We get a little bit of a hint 
of some of the tension that's going to be running through this, where Hercules is old-fashioned and sexist enough that he has a hard time accepting Wasp's leadership. Black Knight is ready to accept her leadership and a lot more from her. He's got a bit of a crush on her. But there's a riot happening outside Avengers Mansion as a result of the Submariner joining the team. And their government liaison recognizes that one of the people who's on the front lines there and who's trying to stir things up is actually Carla Sofen, a.k.a. Moonstone. So that's recognized, and Monica Rambeau as, you know, at this point, Captain Marvel, as well as the Wasp, go out to try and deal with that. Now, Moonstone tries to create a distraction by destroying the stabilizing rotor on a local news chopper, although Submariner goes and gets them down relatively safely. The helicopter crashes, but he saves the occupants. So Moonstone manages to get her way, make her way down to the sewers to try and get away, but Wasp and Black Knight together are able to subdue her and bring her into custody. Unfortunately, the police van that takes her away is being populated by fake police. It's actually the Absorbing Man and Titania. So from there, we learn that Namor is being sued, and also that the current leader of Atlantis is leading them in a dark direction. So he takes a at least temporary leave of absence to deal with that. Moving on to issue 271, we've got more tension between Wasp and Hercules while Black Knight is fully supporting the Wasp. Hercules goes out to helps out just random people in the street, which is a nice touch for the Avengers that they're not always out there just fighting the the bad guys and out there fighting crime. This is actually a semi whose trailer has tipped over and Hercules is perfectly happy to turn it upright. Wasp goes home and finds Paladin, aka Paul Denning, in her apartment while Captain Marvel, Monica Rambo, goes to visit Derek Freeman, their government liaison, who reveals that certain criminals like the Grey Gargoyle, Whirlwind, and Mr. Hyde are out on the loose. And they also arrange a date for a time in the near future. So the Wasp ends up going to police custody where she talks to the new and female Yellow Jacket who's a villain and who is broken out by a combination of Screaming Mimi and the Grey Gargoyle, while the Wasp and Black Knight are on hand, or sorry, Wasp and Paladin are on hand. Now, there is a bit of a coloring error in this issue. The idea is that part of the re- reason that they escaped is that the Grey Gargoyle turned everyone to stone. He turned a desk to stone and trapped Paladin under it, and a styrofoam cup to stone and trapped the Wasp inside it, but she's able to break free and helps Paladin get loose. But while she's escaping, we see a number of people who are supposed to be statues, but they are not colored that way. So that, that coloring correction was published in issue 277, as well as a coloring correction later on when Black Knight arrives to help and is able to take down the Grey Gargoyle, whose powers have been disabled. He is still colored as though he is stone when he shouldn't be. So Black Knight's right hook knocks out the Grey Gargoyle and doesn't hurt Black Knight, which doesn't make a lot of sense if he's still in his stone form, but makes perfect sense if he's flesh and blood. And the issue ends with Namor putting out a call to the Avengers, asking them to help him with his issues in Atlantis. Issue 272 guest stars Alpha Flight, because a big part of Namor's issue is that a member of Alpha Flight, specifically Marina, who is an extraterrestrial alien who becomes part of the lineup when JMS does Supreme Power in his Supreme Squadron reboot, and at this point is Namor's on-again, off-again romance, has been captured and experimented on by Atuma. So Alpha Flight and the Avengers join forces underwater to retake Atlantis. A lot of this is really more preamble, and it's a Namor story that doesn't have a huge impact on the Under Siege part of the story, aside from the fact that Marina's trying not to get Namor to look at him because it's brought out more of his extraterrestrial side. And 
you know, he takes a bit of a leave from the Avengers. So when we get into Under Siege itself, starting in 273, Namor is not a part of the team. And for those of you who recognize your cover dates, the November 1986 cover date is actually 25 years after the Avenger, or after Fantastic Four number one came out with the cover date of November 1961. So this is the cover that has, you know, the one portrait of an Avenger in the middle and then the trim of a variety of Marvel heroes around for the 25th anniversary. Yes, yeah, be- beautiful cover. Yeah. So in this case, it's Black Knight front and center, and we get the Black Suit Spider-Man, Hulk, War Machine, Captain Marvel, Doctor Strange, Namor, Captain America, whole roster of the X-Men across the bottom, Daredevil, and West Coast Avengers, Power Man, Iron Fist. Actually, I don't see Iron Fist. It looks like it's just Power Man, Fantastic Four, and whatnot around the trim. Yeah, the she- She-Hulk and the Fantastic Four at that point. Yeah. All right, so the first issue is Rites of Conquest, opens with Hercules entertaining people in the local tavern. So in this case, he's holding a table on his back, and that table has about a dozen or so people on it, until the table breaks. I hate when that happens. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And then as he's telling stories, we find out that, yeah, he's actually been telling his stories to the Wrecker, who's been working with the new Yellow Jacket, and they are part of the Masters of Evil led by the second Baron Zemo, although Moonstone would like that leadership position for herself, and she's very much vying for it. Captain Marvel takes a bit of a breather by ripping to the moon and back, and playing with different forms, including turning into neutrinos and whatnot, which, I don't know, rubs me the wrong way. It's... sorry. Her powers are supposed to be to turn into any part of the electromagnetic spectrum, and neutrinos do not qualify under that definition. But that's the particle physicist in me. Oh, I don't know how many, uh, like whether Roger Stern or any of the other... uh in-house staff at Marvel were uh, particle physicists that would uh, be able to argue. <laughs> yeah, my understanding is that Roger Stern actually has a geophysics background, so not quite particle physics, but close enough that he should have known the difference there. Yeah. In any event, yes. following that, she comes back to Paris for a quick meal, and the waiter is stunned, of course, but then realizes who she must be, because only one person in the world could possibly make an entrance like that. Yes, exactly. I uh, I thought that uh, could have done with a bit of editing, even if it was translated from the French. Yeah. Okay. So from here, we come back to the Masters of Evil and find out that they are experimenting on the villain Blackout, who would later be better known as a Ghost Rider villain after a much-needed costume redesign. (laughs) Yes. But he's got power to tap into the dark dimension that a few other characters have. And Moonstone is trying very hard to take control of the team. She steps down a little bit when Piledriver and Mr. Hyde get into a bit of a tussle. She can't calm Hyde down, but Baron Zemo does it quite easily. And the reader learns that Zemo orchestrated the whole thing and even tranquilized Hyde specifically to get Moonstone to back down and recognize his leadership to buy himself more time before they deal with that. And we find out at the end of the issue that... Baron Zemo has collected the largest group of the Masters of Evil ever, including Tiger Shark, the Wrecking Crew, Titania, Absorbing Man, the Fixer, the Evil Goliath, and a number of others, because their plan is to take over Avengers Mansion while the Avengers are tied up. And they do invade while Jarvis is the only Avenger home. Yeah, sitting sitting down reading his Leave It to Peacemith novel, which uh, I, I did look up and... Has no relevance whatsoever to the to the story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's interrupted by the intruder alarm, and that's yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, no, it, it's nice to see stories, but it would be nice if there was something that had some sort of foreshadowing. Yeah, or maybe some sort of it. siege story or, or or something like that 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 made it ironic. But no, no, it seems to be more like this is a book I love. Let me plug it. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So he's actually rather stunned because something is breaking through the uh, gate that is solid omnium steel. Yes, omnium steel. It's uh, stronger than titanium, weaker than adamantium. It's the second strongest alloy made by man. Turns yeah. up when they don't want to resort to adamantium. So, yep. poor man's adamantium. <laughs> yep. So, I'm not sure why that's what Tony Stark chose to use, but anyway. Well, good point. Yes. Yeah. Poor man's not the right phrase. Yeah, but still, you know, probably just a little more available than adamantium, I mm. should say. Possibly easier to work with. But that's what the gate is made out of, and these guys break through it quite handily. And they smash in and just take the mansion. The last we see of Jarvis, he is bound and gagged. Yeah. If only, if only we knew what was going to happen with him. Yeah. Yes. So from there we go to issue 274, titled Divided We Fall. Although the cover caption of Hercules' Last Stand is probably a little more descriptive. Mm. Black Knight is the first to come back to the mansion, realizes things are off. But when he is attacked... First distracted by the yellow jacket. And then Mr. Hyde catches him off guard by punching him through the wall and just laying into them. And the Black Knight goes down fairly easily because, unfortunately, his powers do not include significantly increased durability. Yeah. And as we said, Mr. Hyde was pounding on him. Yeah, that armor doesn't do much for him either. No. So from there, we get the emergency call that brings Monica Rambo in and Blackout sends her to the Dark Dimension where she's trapped to get her out of the way. We cut from here to the Wasp sunbathing at home when Captain America is actually dropped by a helicopter onto her diving board, bounces off and clears the pool and lands next to her, which is a, a nice little cap moment. Yeah. It's a bit pre, pre-YouTube. If uh, that happened today, the board would have snapped and he would have gone face first in the water. Yeah. Well, I'm willing to, to accept that the Wasp's board was reinforced for Hank Pym in his giant form. Oh, good point. And we are, we are talking about Captain America here. Very acrobatic, yeah. either way. Yeah, between his skill and the extra reinforcement in the board, that one I can buy. Yeah. <laughs> in any event, Cap shows up, and he's realized something is wrong because he contacted the mansion. And I should have mentioned earlier that Masters of Evil are using voice scramblers to sound like members of the Avengers. And he spoke to someone who sounded exactly like Wasp, but who did not react when he found out that the Trapster and Whirlwind were out free. And there's no way that Janet Van Dyne would not have had a reaction to learning that the whirlwind is out there running free. To find out why, go back to issues from the 60s when he basically got access to the mansion in a previous Masters of Evil plan by taking off his costume and getting a job as her chauffeur. <laughs> I have to track that down. Yeah, it's it was one of the first serialized elements that ran through a few issues before it came to a head. So we just knew he was chauffeur Danny Cannon for a couple issues before he knew Danny Cannon was whirlwind. Back to the mansion, Wasp has infiltrated and gets a chance to talk to Jarvis. Finds out that they are planning a trap for Hercules, and you know Wasp and Captain America manage to distract him, but he has been drugged by the Wrecker and others that he's been drinking with. Refuses to follow the Wasp's lead, and decides to go take the Masters of Evil head-on, instead of doing it in a planned and orchestrated effort. Yeah, when you've got Captain America telling you how to plan your attack and you ignore him, it's not going to end well. No. No, it's it's more cockiness that he can handle anything, but yeah. Usual drunk. <laughs> yep. I would think it's safe to say that Captain America is considered the Marvel Universe's greatest tactician. Mm. 
Exactly. Yeah, I think the the only person that they've ever even put in the running on that would be Cyclops, and even that clearly cap is number one. <laughs> yeah, I'll barely give it to him, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I said, Cyclops, I'd say he is number two, but there's there's a very clear gap between them. Yeah, there's a quite a significant gap. Yeah, he's he's not a close second, he's just second. Yes. So from there, the Wasp and Cap are disabled when they follow Hercules in by the Avengers' defenses, which have been turned against them, at which point Blackout encases the entire mansion in a shell from the Dark Dimension. Now, Hercules has managed to beat his way past Tiger Shark, but when he ends up following Tiger Shark, going up against Mr. Hyde and the Wrecking Crew and Goliath, he does go down. Yeah. Yeah, he gets uh, treated uh, a bit like um, Loki by the Hulk in the Avengers movie, by, yeah. by with Goliath just flinging him around, just breaks him. Yeah, so he does get expelled from the Dark Dimension block around the mansion, so it's just he and Wasp out there, and Wasp is unable to find his pulse. So we go to issue 275, starts off with news coverage recapping the story thus far. Captain America is now being held along with Jarvis and Black Knight while Hercules is just hanging on for dear life in the hospital, the Scott Lang Ant-Man shows up to give a helping hand, because the dialogue has explained exactly why it is that the West Coast Avengers and the Fantastic Four are unavailable at this time. The Masters of Evil actually sent the West Coast Avengers off on a wild goose chase into Asia to buy enough time to take care of the East Coast Avengers before they mount their attack on the West Coast. Pretty clever. Yeah, this this does show a lot for Helmet Zero's planning and his tactical abilities yeah yeah no yeah he he starts off strong anyway (laughs) yeah it shows that he's quite good at planning and not as good at improvising is what it boils down to so as soon as his plan starts to go a little bit off the rails well we'll get to that exactly cut to captain marvel in the dark dimension and she does periodically see a light but it disappears before she can get to it even though she's moving at the uh, speed of light i imagine (laughs) yep not not quick enough. She's in a whole, like, dimension, so this could be a long way away. Yeah, we're just going to have to say that's a large distance. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, cut back to the hospital where we finally get a pulse from Hercules, but Absorbing Man and Titania attack, and it's up to the Wasp and the Scott Lang Ant-Man to defend them from her. Hyde starts to tear in to try and demoralize Captain America, starting by wrecking his World War One triangular shield. World War Two. Uh, sorry, World War Two Triangular Shield. Yeah, you are correct. His original shield, anyway. And then he does realize that you know tearing up his personal photos, like Zemo has done, none of this is getting to him. But they know Captain America well enough to know what will get to him. And Mister Hyde just starts tearing into Jarvis and beating on him. Yes, I, I think the dark, darkest part of this whole storyline is what what he does off off panel to Jarvis. It's- yeah, most of that beating takes place while the story is focused on Wasp and Ant-Man yeah. against Absorbing Man and Titania in the hospital, which they, you know, they do manage to cover, and they are able to come out on top of that one. But yeah, I come back to issue 276, even after that, the police have come to the hospital and they're taking statements, so some time has passed. But when we cut back to the mansion, there's screams and laughter, and Captain America and Black Knight just looking in shock and terror. Yeah, their their reactions show more than what the uh, literal assault would 
would do. It's more traumatizing because you see their their reactions to it. Yeah. So, I mean, Mr. Hyde has been just beating on Jarvis this entire time. Now, the military is ready to step in on Avengers Mansion, but they are willing to go along with the Wasp and not invade. Now, Captain Marvel is finally able to escape for one of those light points in the Dark Dimension by escaping through the Shroud, or Maximilian Coleridge, who also taps into the Dark Dimension. A character named Dr. Druid, who was originally introduced as Dr. Droom in the series that would become the Amazing Adult Fantasy or Amazing Fantasy that Spider-Man premiered in. He is a psychiatrist who realizes the through his mystical means that the Avengers are in trouble, and he just decides to go help. In, in one of the worst costumes designed <laughs> by Marvel. Yeah. We get Thor appearing, because he's also ready to help out. Moonstone is trying to manipulate Blackout a little bit for her own purposes. But soon the Avengers manage to free themselves. The Black Knight's psychic connection to his blade has called the blade to him. That's enough to free both himself and Captain America. And with everything encased in blackness because of Moonstone's manipulation of Blackout, they're able to start to regain the upper hand, which is good, because, I mean, by this point, Hyde is holding up Jarvis, and Jarvis is just there but like a rag doll. He, he cannot support himself. He's just taken too much of a beating. But Captain Marvel burns a hole into the mansion. Wasp follows and distracts. Mr. Hyde annoys him and gets him to tear straight into Thor before he realizes what's coming. Dr. Druid starts making connections with Blackout in order to be allowed through that dark dimensional block. And what's really happening in this issue is that the Avengers are regrouping. So we get some Thor versus Goliath. We get Moonstone trying to escape and being chased by the Wasp to the point that she ends up smashing headlong into a just a, a stone outcropping and breaks her own neck. She is alive, but apparently paralyzed. And then... With everything going to pot, Baron Zemo goes to Blackout and says, yeah, you could save the day, you can defeat our enemies, you can send the entire mansion, with everyone in it, into the Dark Force dimension. So he's essentially ready to banish the Avengers to the same dimension where they unsuccessfully banish Captain Marvel. Yeah, I can't, I can't see them bringing the mansion back through Shroud. It'd be no. uh, a, bit, a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, they might be able to get the Avengers through one at a time, but... So from there we go to continuing battle between Thor and Goliath with the Wrecking Crew there. And Thor is able to get the upper hand. Now he has managed to use his own Norse mythology and his abilities to disconnect the rest of the Wrecking Crew from the Wrecker's Crowbar. Those of us who remember his origin story, Loki used the Norn Stones to enchant the Crowbar, and then that power was shared with the rest of the Wrecking Crew. So the power is no longer shared, which means the Wrecker himself is much more powerful. But the rest of the Wrecking Crew are just normal guys. So that fight's going on while some of the Avengers are giving Jarvis some medical attention, and they're able to start going through and take on the Wrecker. Baron Zemo is sending the new Yellow Jacket out, but Dr. Druid has managed to incapacitate Blackout, and he and Baron Zemo start having you know, sort of a, a mental duel. Captain America takes on the Wrecker while Thor takes on Goliath, and with the help of Mjolnir, he's able to do a little more damage than Hercules did. So Yellow Jacket gives up fairly quickly because, yeah, she knows when she's beat. So she surrenders. Baron Zemo comes and he's, you know, ready to kill Blackout. But Captain Marvel steps in and destroys his weapons. Captain America and the Wasp have now come to the roof as well. And with everyone together, they are able to take down Baron Zemo. Particularly Captain America is the one that's able to do that. Yeah, he tried taking him down with his own shield. Really? Like... <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, all we have from there is really the aftermath. The Avengers have retaken the mansion. The Masters of Evil have been rounded up. And now Cap can actually start to feel the losses of his World War II mementos. Like, his only remaining photo of his mother. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's one bit I'd... Uh... I remember reading uh, a reference to it in an old wizard magazine, and that drew me to the to the story. Is just the 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 poundings didn't affect him, you know. Obviously, the assault on Jarvis did, but you know the the crushing of the the triangular shield and uh, everything it didn't get to him. The ripping up the picture didn't get to him at the time, but then now he has time to think about it, and it's just that gut punch and. Uh, the picture's ripped in half. It can be obviously repaired and off-panel. They probably eventually do, but, you know, he's he's not aware of any of that. He's just traumatised. You know, I guess everything's just bubbling to the surface now that you know, the adrenaline runs runs out and uh, and he, and he, he realises what he's potentially lost. Yeah, it is. I mean, as we said, this, this is the first major dark day for the Avengers. Next up was Disassembled. And I do want to correct myself. Earlier, I said that I had that conversation with John M. Wilson. And granted, we've had almost a third of these conversations with John M. Wilson. That one was with Matt Piercy. So, oh, sorry, that Matt. is that is correct. I I should have corrected you then because I've re-listened to that one not too long ago myself because uh, it's such a good story, such a good story. Uh, and that reminds me, the uh, one one of the the things tying it to this one is because the yeah, I'm going to focus on the dark bits here. The uh, the beating that Jarvis takes just uh, is. I'm reminded of that in Disassembled again. Stepping back into that for a moment, when the um, the military medic is uh, talking down Jarvis a bit, and Captain America walks up, you talk to this man as if you were speaking to me. As far as I'm concerned, this man is an Avenger, and um, I, I I often think of Jarvis as almost like a mascot or sidekick, but it's not quite right. He is an honorary Avenger. He may not be out there, you know, fancy clothes and a indestructible shield but he's certainly one of the team and he he's there for them through through thick and thin and um takes a, for want of a better word takes a bullet for them in this story so oh. yeah no it's a uh, very very dark the pounding i'm harping on it but the uh, the pounding he takes just just hits you because it's it's nothing yet yeah, there'd been things like you know, darker aspects to stories before this, but, you know, that mid-80s cultural shift in comics really darkened things. And, you know, it's people often use the grim and gritty kind of terminology, but it's it's more than that. You know, their, their, their aim was to bring that more mature level and, and, and somewhat darker storytelling to, to comics. And this one, I, I think, really brought it in. It has the, the flashy costumes and powers and that but it's got those really dark character moments that make it stand the test of time you know that's why it comes in in the top 75 you know 18 some might argue it could be higher or lower depends on you know personal taste mm-hmm. but it's i think a brilliant story and it, it sets up a lot of things that are used years later oh yeah yeah just, just because it is the the masters and they they do come back time and again but in particular there's a connection to the Thunderbolts and Kurt Busiek plays up the, the the same it feels like obviously I read the same characters but it it feels like they're the same character especially Baron Zemo and Moonstone they read the same the personalities come through on paper to me anyway the same you know 10 years 11 12 years later yeah yeah this 
I think this becomes the template for every Masters of Evil story from this point forward, including their stint as the Thunderbolts. Spoilers. <laughs> if people yeah. don't know by now, they, if they haven't listened to you, your uh, your show and they haven't read it, uh, a, a, what is it, 19-year-old story now? 97, was it? Yeah. If they haven't read that or, or heard heard the, the big spoiler at the end, then they're, mi- they're missing out and yeah, call themselves comic fans. <coughs> and um, yeah. yeah. Well, that was episode 37 of the podcast, so. So they should have caught up by now. Yeah, you've had 19 weeks to catch up. It's We are actually closer to the end of the podcast now than we are to that episode. Ooh, get in there. Get in there. Some good stuff coming up. Oh, yeah. 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 That's one of the great things about this podcast is that it just keeps getting better and better. Yeah. So that this has echoes throughout. So even, you know, when the Avengers are having a rough day, this is the day that they compare it to, mm. even in story. Yeah. Well, and rightly so. Like, yeah, there are dark stories after this, but this one just strikes a chord. It just, it, it hits the spot. It does. It's, there, there's a lot of good stories that aren't explicitly referenced 20 or 30 years later unless they're origin stories just because you can't guarantee that the readers will know about them. That doesn't happen with this. Mm. We we still get scenes in the early 2000s where Jarvis is bothered by an image of Mr. Hyde because of what happened here. <laughs> Rightly so. And it's like he, He's freaked out and they're like, yeah, he's just this, that man. And the rest of the Avengers get it. They're like, yeah, okay. We, we totally understand why you were traumatized and never want to see Hyde again in any way, shape, or form. And and physically, he's written as an older gentleman, and I'm sure, yeah, he healed from those injuries, but he'd still wake up, he'd have aches and pains, and, you know, yeah. it's just, he wouldn't be sitting right now. So it would, it would be uh, interesting if they, they developed uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, along these lines. I'd, I think at the moment they, they wouldn't be anywhere near it, but if they if they did develop in the future, if they in, into, introduced some aspect of the Masters of Evil, and then do the uh, you know a, a siege of well, they got um, they had Avengers Tower, the, where they've got a compound now. It's <laughs> yeah. the end of the uh, second movie, but uh, yeah, no, it'd be it'd be interesting if they brought that in, and then because obviously from there they could go Thunderbolts and just. Uh, glued to the glued to our seats, I think we'd be more so than usual. Yeah, they've got seventy five years worth of stories to draw from to pick and choose to put yeah. in these movies. Well, they and they they do get them and they put a new spin on them, you know, mix them up and uh, take the best elements and and bring them together and you know just polish up, you know, like they did it with Ultron's origin and they they repolished it, took Hank Pym out of it, but that's all right. They'd established Tony Stark to such an extent and. It made sense story-wise. They let the story develop from from the characterizations and things, but still kept it as you know, big splashy Hollywood action. Yeah. So that's I mean that's the impact that this has. This was a turning point for the Avengers that is referenced to this day. Now, in terms of our, our personal stories, how was it that you were first introduced to this story? I've do have some of the issues somewhere. I I couldn't dig them up. I had to download electronic uh, digital copies to uh, reread them. It was. Back, as I said, there was the old Wizard article, and it was certain scenes like the 10 or 20 greatest Avengers moments and things like that, or Marvel moments, maybe. It may not, may not have just been Avengers. And that scene, obviously the beating of Jarvis, but it was the scene at the end with Captain America 
with the photo of his mum and it, it, it hit them. It was one of their, like, it was number two or number one or something. It was, like, right at the top of their list at the time. So this is mid to late 90s. And I knew the rough story bits for years, as you said. It's been referenced so often. And, and you know, in other in other articles and, and columns and things, I've, I've been online oh, roughly since 1994. And, you know, you'd read things online or, or in magazines or, or in uh, columns. But hearkening back, I keep repeating myself, it was back to the Thunderbolts. I heard about them. It was coming out. There was one or two issues before issue one that they made appearances in. One was Incredible Hulk, and there may have been another one, maybe a Marvel 2-in-1 one-off special or something. There was there was two appearances, I think, before Thunderbolts 1, which it, the ending wasn't spoiled in those those issues, but my mentality at the time, I was what, 19, 20 years old, I was excited. It was like, oh, this new Marvel team coming out, I can get in on the ground floor. You know, you didn't have hundreds of issues, you know, decades of storyline. You're coming at the ground floor. They look dynamic, very stylish. And stepping in and re- reading that first issue and bam, at the end of it. And that obviously makes you want to oh, find out more about these people and all that. So it was those those two things. Now, I, I like most people, I've probably still got the Wizard magazine somewhere. Um, not sure where and not have easy access to it. But uh, I don't know if that was before Thunderbolts or after Thunderbolts. And but one one of one or both of them got me intrigued in it. And back issue bins, digging through things, you know, uh, ended up uh, pulling out a lot of these and just reading them, just soaking them up um, because they yeah they came out before my time as a comic book reader. Like most people, my gateway drug was uh, G.I. Joe, Real American Hero, mm-hmm. uh, from Marvel uh, back in uh, 1989. So this was a few years before that. And, yeah, yeah I... Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, it was mainly Thunderbolts and that uh, Wizard Magazine article. See, Wizard Magazine can still be relevant in some capacity. Yeah, for me, this is... Of these last 18 stories on the countdown, this is one of the two that I didn't actually read until... I had the idea for this podcast. So I had the Gitcorp DVD ROMs with every issue of the Avengers from number one up until disassembled in the first arc of New Avengers, but I hadn't actually sat down to read it until after we got into this. So, yeah, my first exposure to the story was prepping for this episode. <laughs> oh, that's a good good, good homework to, to have. Very good homework oh, yeah. to have. Yes, yes. And, uh, yeah, no, Ro- Roger Stern. Obviously, I'd read a lot of Roger Stern before this. Before I'd read this, Big fan of the uh, the Death and Return of Superman. Didn't read those issues at the time, read them after the fact, but one of my most well-read, still got my original paperback, novels is um, The Death and Life of Superman, which was adapted by Roger Stern. From part of it was his own uh, story um, and other writers, and uh, he, he compiled so much Superman history into that novel, and I think I've read that more than any book in my library, and I've bought it three or four times now as well. Got a nice hardcover, but yeah, no, he's you know Spider Man, the Avengers, and uh, Superman. I, I don't think the man can do any wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Subtle. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely one of the good ones. So, so I think from there you know, it's time to move into the section of the podcast that I've so blatantly stolen from Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast that everybody should be listening to. 
They're just starting the fourth season of Star Trek Next Generation now, and actually should still be in the fourth season when this podcast wraps up in June. This is the time where we sit back to look for any messages, morals, and meanings that we have in this story. And there are some. There's definitely an anti-sexism message here, because a lot of the issues that these guys have are a direct result of Hercules refusing to accept the Wasp as leader. Yeah, and they, they built on that right through from those early issues before the siege actually started. You know, they were they were just prodding and poking. There was those arguments and, and the Black Knight siding with her because he was keen on her. And Hercules is just, it's just chiding at him. Chiding, it's that, just that, it's irritating him, irritating him. And then he's getting drunk and drugged and then that's it. And he just won't take it anymore from her. And uh, yeah, it's it's fairly powerful stuff that they've they've written him because he often you know gets gets written off a bit as a caricature and to some respects you know he he, he is and even that um, sexist uh, tone of his is a bit of a caricature but it works you know he just he just <laughs> bullheadedly punches his way out of the van ignores Captain America and the Wasp and charges off into the uh, mansion punches through a wall and then just gets the living snot punched out of him. Which, you know, serves him right. I hate to say that, but yes. Yeah, it was his choice, and had he been level-headed enough, he was drugged in that particular moment, but it's very clear from the writing that he'd have been prone to this kind of behavior anyway. Oh, yeah. Well, like we said, they'd they'd been building it for issues, and that's what I love. They've just been building it. It's this slow burn, and then that just, (laughs) just exploded, and he paid the cost, paid the price for it. Oh, very much so. Uh, so, did you notice any other messages or meanings? No, no. There's, there's not really much. It's, it, it's, it's all. I, I, I think, and I don't know if I'm just a simple guy. It's fairly cut and dry. Fairly for 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 what it is, and for the for the time and the the tone, the dark tone that we've talked about. It, it's, it's. I don't think there's anything too too deep. Um, you know. Uh, there's. I'm, I'm just looking through now and there's no it's it's all fairly fairly straight it's it's all on the page there's yeah yeah i would say that's it's not really a message story like a lot of those you've had where there's a very clear moral i mean the anti-sexism thing yeah it's it's pretty blatant that that would have been better yeah Yeah. but don't crash a a superhero's clubhouse there's 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 the moral of the tale because it's not gonna it's not gonna end well for you you know um yeah, I yeah no, I I can't think of think of any, and most of my my notes are in reference to particular scenes actually. So yeah, I can't think of any uh, any underlying meanings, and I I really should get onto mission log. <laughs> it, it gets referenced every episode, and, and and I do quite like Star Trek, so I should go and uh, check it out. Yeah, if you like Star Trek, uh, you should check out both Mission Log and listen to the Prophets. Listen to the Prophets is over on the Two True Freaks Network. Yeah, yeah. So, especially if you like next week's guest hosts. Anyway. Yes, I, I, I don't want to get, get a get a talking down online or anything from them. So, yeah, no, no, I, sh- I should certainly because, you know, not, not as deep into Star Trek as a lot of people, but oh, I enjoy it. It's just, it, can be, it can be so good. Just, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, just uh, unless we want to go over... Anything else? I think that might... Yeah, I think all we really have to do is kind of summarize what we said for why we think it landed at this point in the rankings. 
And we usually look at the three elements, the entertainment value, the impact on continuity, and the messages or meanings that could land it on this list. Yeah. Well, the, the first two, obviously. It is entertaining, you know, like it's uh, train wreck cinema. I don't know if that's the term or, or I'm misthinking. You know, it's it's something bad happening to people we know, characters we know, and you can't turn away. You rub the neck in. You 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 you're watching. You're like you have this perverse sense of you're watching them get undone. You're seeing the Avengers losing, but you are cheering them on at the same time. So you know, you it's. It, it it is it is entertaining seeing them you know have 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 a bad day because if 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 they won all the time you know they do win majority of the time but if they if they didn't have any challenges it wouldn't wouldn't be entertaining it would be yawning and and flicking them to the next issue or or you know crossing the road to the <clears throat> distinguished competition yeah Yes, but the the uh, I think the importance of the continuity very much so as we, we've already mm-hmm. we've already gone over they they keep referencing this story it is mm-hmm. it is a a touchstone it's and we said it's thirty years it's a long time ago you know in 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 comic time and they keep going back to it they don't dredge it up they just they they use it because it, it is a powerful emotional story and they use that as a springboard for developing the the characters further on you know they just don't mm-hmm. rehash recycle they're using it as an inspiration for for future storytelling yeah well like we said that the masters don't just take the mansion they hold it for a while well that's it because just taking it in itself will be that's no big deal but they hold on to it they you know torture you know they 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 up their game it's not a <laughs> simple mustache twirling you know, oh, we'll take it over and then we'll rule the world kind of thing. It's they take it to the Avengers' home and then mm-hmm. they stick the boot in. You know, it's 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 powerful stuff. Yeah, and I think that's largely why it's on the list. I mean, it, it is very entertaining. It does have the impact on continuity. And while the anti-sexism message is a great message that needs to show up in more media, it's not, I don't think, a big enough part of the story to explain why it's on the list. Yeah, no, I th- I think it's the... Uh, Hercules, Jarvis, Cap, and and some of the characterization of of the others as well. It's you know those gut punches, and they they do ultimately win, but with some casualties. So you know they up the seriousness level, and the masses brought their A game mostly, and you know just showed that they could be a force. And because they've got the rotating roster like the Avengers, you know they can bring in those heavy hitters. For storylines like this, you know, and and rotate them out depending on you know what the story needs. You know, they're not not a, a team set in stone. You know, they've they they've got that flexibility that will allow them to get one up on the Avengers. Yep. All right. So with that, uh, Rob, I'll just thank you again for coming in and recording this twice now. Not a problem. I I hope not that anyone will ever hear the first one, but hopefully it will. Uh, be uh, as entertaining if not more so than than our first attempt at it but no thank you very much for having me uh i've i've enjoyed it and i hope everyone listening enjoys listening to to us uh discuss one of one of the best avenger stories ever oh yeah and next week we have something that was voted as one of the best spider-man stories ever it's the backup story from amazing spider-man 248 which was Assistant Anders Month, The Kid Who Collects Spider-Man. 
It has been reprinted in the very best of Spider-Man trade paperback from 1994, as well as Marvel Digital Unlimited, Comixology, and the Gitcorp CD and DVD ROMs. So, meantime, please feel free to rate this and any other shows you listen to on iTunes, Stitch, or whatever podcatcher you're using. It really does help the shows get noticed and build their audience, as does sharing links to the episodes with those who you feel may enjoy it, including this or any other shows from Bureau 42 or any other podcast network. And finally, thank you for listening. Comic books aren't for kids anymore. We've heard the refrain for years in mainstream media, but 30 seconds at the end of a newscast or two paragraphs in a magazine can't provide the behind-the-scenes information or entertainment like one episode of Word Balloon. Welcome to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. This is John Suntress. Word Balloon is a one-on-one interview program featuring pop culture conversations with storytellers. People who don't read today's comic books may think the medium is still being written for nine-year-olds, but as film, television, and video game producers can tell you, they couldn't be more wrong. These writers and artists are just as entertaining talking about their process as they are producing the stories they make. Listen to a sample episode and discover why Word Balloon leads the way in pop culture entertainment coverage.